0: If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter nine. Luke chapter nine being the first nine verses of Luke chapter nine. You'll notice. If you have been following along with us, and you uh, are a part of the First Baptist family, that we have left out a section in Luke chapter 8, and Pastor Nate will be back uh, to give that next week, but we will be in Luke chapter 9 as planned uh, this morning. Let's pray and dive into the passage. Father, I thank you. I thank you for giving us your word. I thank you for allowing us to grow in it, to know you more deeply. I thank you for giving your spirit to accompany the word, to press it into our hearts and change our lives. I pray that he does that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 9, hopefully you've turned there, and if you still are, one thing that is unique perhaps about our generation is if we don't know something, or we don't know how to do something, we can simply say, just YouTube it. Just YouTube it, and we are able to pull up a YouTube video of someone doing something that we might have no clue how to do, and we watch them do it and study the video or simply passively take it in and then we go to work. Uh, growing up, I have mentioned this before, but I, I grew up in a car family. We were always working on cars. And before we had Haynes manuals, uh, some of you might know what it is a, a manual telling you how to uh, fix different parts in your car, telling you how to work through different problems that you come across. And so you'd read through and uh, understand how to do the problem or how to fix what needs to be fixed. And then you would try to somehow, out of a couple black and white pictures, uh, make that happen. Uh, sometimes it worked and sometimes I had to recruit my brother Zach to finish it um, because he's much more gifted in those areas. But today we have YouTube and we can watch a YouTube video and, and pause it and reflect and okay, now I can go ahead and, and put it into action because there's some things that are just easier to be able to see and to truly learn we need to actually do them. Well, the disciples have been following Jesus in his public ministry They've been watching Him. They've been studying Him. They've seen amazing things, miraculous things. And now, it's time for them to to go do it themselves. Now, Jesus sends them out to do this. Halfway through His ministry, about a year and a half into His ministry, They're given this charge. It's the charge that we look at in Luke 9, 1 through 9. These men gathered together and sent out. Let's read. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. We have to stop there. We can't get past verse 1 because there's so much there that we need to slow down. and, And they've been observing. They've been taking this in. And now, he calls them together and sends them out first thing that we want to look at as we look at this passage is the disciples are called and equipped for mission. They are called and equipped for mission. Jesus calls them together. He is the initiator. He is the one that comes and he calls them together. not only does he call them together, but he also equips them. He says that he gave them power and authority. See, he called them together, but he gave them exactly what they needed for the mission he was about to give them. Can you imagine what's going through their minds at this moment? Jesus the miraculous. Jesus, the one who is curing diseases. Remember when he cured that man? Remember when he sent those demons into those pigs? And they booked it to their death? That was kind of epic. And now Jesus is saying, You're gonna have that power. Ooh, we're gonna be the we're gonna be the. Sending demons to pigs? Like, that's awesome. Like, I- imagine growing up hearing about the great prophets. Oh, remember Elijah. Remember Elijah. Remember, remember they had these, these false prophets. They're, they're, they're trying to call down fire to burn this, this offering. Remember Elijah? He said, let's take some water and pour it around it. Let's drench this thing because my God's going to be able to do it. He calls down fire from heaven. Like, boom! Elijah's awesome. Remember these guys and, and how amazing they were? But guess what? We're following one who's even better. We're following one who he speaks and it happens. We're following the one who spoke the earth into existence. And now Jesus is saying, I'm calling you together and I'm giving you power over demons, power over sickness. Sign me up! Think about power and authority even in our own day. How easy it is to Lord it and, and hoard it over others. And Jesus is saying, I'm calling you together to give you this power and I'm sending you out. Well, What does he give them? He gives them both power and authority. It's essential that he gives them both. You see, I, you could have the power to cut down your neighbor's tree, but you don't have the authority to. You'll find that out soon. <laughs> if you attempt it, you might have a a, a, a nice chainsaw that you want to you use, but they might not want you to use it. Neither do the authorities. But you can also have the authority to chop up the own, your own tree in your own yard, but you might not have the power to do it. Just this past uh, week, my dad went over to uh, my grandpa's house and helped him chop up a tree in his yard. He had the power. He had the chainsaw. And the ability to be able to do that. So we need both. We need the power to do something, but also the authority, the commissioning to be able to do it. Is it within grasp? Is it something that we should be doing? And the disciples were given both. We're given both. This is important, especially with what they're about to do. Could you imagine a pilot leaving the cockpit and heading back and picking out a 12-year-old and saying, go ahead and fly this thing home. It's you now. 12-year-old say, no, 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 no. That's, that's yours. Like, you're equipped. You're able to do that. You have the authority. Like, you have the training. Do we think flying a plane is a bigger deal in the ministry that these disciples were called to Imagine just what must be going through their mind. Okay, okay, you're you're calling me to this. Uh, all right, you're you're giving me this power. Now what? But he doesn't leave them there. He tells them the mission. He tells them the mission. Look at the second point. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. The disciples were sent to proclaim and to serve. The disciples were sent to proclaim and to serve in that order. Proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. You'll notice in verse 6 when it recaps what they did, it says they went to the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Were they being disobedient by preaching the gospel instead of the kingdom of God? No, it's one and the same. They're preaching the kingdom of God. The king has come. And this is also the good news the gospel meaning good news. The good news is that the king has come. This is their primary task, proclamation, sending the message that Jesus has come, the Messiah has come. And their second task is to heal. They have this power to to cast out demons and to heal diseases. But this is second. It's important that we understand that. It's important we understand what comes first, what's most important. See, Jesus' own healing ministry was, was meant to back up what he claimed, to validate that he is who he says he is. And as the disciples are being sent out, it's not simply so that they can look awesome doing miracles. And show how cool it is that they can cast out demons. No, they're given the power to cast out demons to confirm and verify the message they've been given of who Jesus is. When we look at the results, and we will, but when we look at the results in in, in verses 7-9, through the question on everybody's mind is, who is this man? It's to make much of Jesus, that was their mission, to proclaim and to serve. We have the most direct application, perhaps, for pastors today. Pastors and missionaries. You see, the disciples are called, but they're also called into full-time ministry. Become fishers men, leave everything behind and, 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 and do this ministry. And what is this task they're to dedicate their life towards? We see it even in this internship here in Luke 9 that they're called to proclaim and serve. Proclaim and serve. There's two dangers for pastors. One is to be all show and no go. All show and no go. You see... They were called not only to proclaim the good news, but also to care for those. That's what the disciples were called to. They were to care for them miraculously. Well, we might not be caring for people miraculously today, but we are called to come alongside the sick. To come alongside the hurting. To care for those in need. J.C. Ryle, commenting on this passage, gives a strong rebuke to those who wish to pastor and not care for the sick and hurting. We must not expect him to work miraculous cures, he says, but we may expect him to take a special interest in all sick people, to visit them, sympathize with them, and help them, if needful, as far as he can. The minister who neglects the sick members of his flock is no true pastor. Ryle says, hey, as far as he can, he's he's just one man. First Baptist, we're assembling a care ministry to make sure that that the shut-ins and those who are are suffering are taken care of. It's an extension of pastoral ministry. Uh, But but there's an aspect in which ministers are called to do that as well, as long as they are able to uh, pray for your pastors in that task. <clears throat> the next danger is neglecting the preaching duty by f- focusing on everything else. Neglecting the preaching duty by focusing on everything else. The primary task for those in full-time ministry is the proclamation of the kingdom. How are they to hear without a preacher? All right. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Paul says this in Romans 10, and it's charged to Timothy and 2 Timothy 4, is preach the word. This is why they're sent. This is the essential duty. The proclamation of God's word is under attack today. In a culture that is very anti-authority, it sits uncomfortable with us to come and sit and be preached at. Be told what to do. Be told what to believe. This is my authority, anybody whose authority who stands behind the pulpit, does not rest in us, it rests in the Word of God. But God does, out of his grace, allow us to gather together and hear his word proclaimed. Studying our Bibles on our own is an essential duty. We must do it. But we can be quick to wiggle out of certain passages. Quick to turn our own flavor on it. It's important that we sit under the preached word. A pastor who neglects to rub shoulders with the sheep... Caring for the sick is like a bird with a damaged wing. But a pastor who doesn't preach is a dead bird. There's no life, no true biblical life in that ministry. See, they're called, they're sent, they're sent to proclaim and to heal. But Jesus also gives them instructions. He also gives them instructions. Thirdly, look at verse 3. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there and depart from there. And wherever they do not receive you, When you leave that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Third, disciples trust the methods and the mission of God. Disciples trust the methods and the mission of God. Jesus doesn't want leave them wondering what they should do, where they should go. He, he, he gives them instructions. And what are his instructions? Take nothing for your journey. Don't take a staff, a no bag, nor bread, nor money, and don't have two tunics. What, what does this mean? What, what is he communicating here? Well. In Mark's gospel, it tells them, in this same account, it tells them, take nothing but a staff. In this passage, it says, take nothing, not to even take a staff. So what does this mean? Well, in those days, the journeys were hard. And they would take a staff to help them along their, their journey, along the roads. And if a robber were to come, or they could fend them off with their staff. says don't take two tunics in this passage. I think what Jesus is saying is take nothing but the clothes on your back and go. If they had a staff already. They just keep on going. Don't take an extra one. Just take what you have and leave. Don't take a money bag. In other words, don't be collecting money as you go. Don't be a traveling preacher who's opening up your bag and saying help me with my next... Night stay. Help me with that, my journey. No. Be like the Israelites in the Exodus. They like, trust my provision. You will be taken care of. Trust. There's the emphasis of not taking a staff or a bag or bread or money and not having two tunics. Just leave and go. You're going to be taken care of. What I call for all who are in ministry, depend on God, trust in Him. You will be taken care of. His instructions of where to stay is the second set of instructions. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart possible meanings here is he telling the disciples, "Hey, if you go to a house and uh, it's just a, a, a small house and you see a nice-looking house beyond, d- don't go to that house. Stay, at the, stay where, you, where you started. Don't be, don't be scout in the horizon for who has the fanciest house." Now well, that's one possible meaning, but I, I think what Jesus is getting at is something else. He says, when you go to a town, stay in one house, and then when you're done staying there, go to a different town. You see, in those days, people were very sensitive not to overstay their welcome. You're not going to stay at somebody's house for months on end to get to the point of, hey, when are they going to leave, honey? No, they were very sensitive and they are going to stay a short amount of time. And what Jesus is saying is, stay there. Once you've overstayed your welcome, once you had that little bit of time there, then go somewhere else. Go to a different city and stay there for a little bit. Be on the move. Spread this message out. I think this understanding is confirmed in verse 6 when it says, they were doing this everywhere. They're just, they're just going out. They're staying places for a little bit then they're going to another place and proclaiming the good news. They're going to another place and proclaiming the good news. And they're depending on Jesus the entire time. They trusted his command. It says this is what they did. They departed. They went out. They preached the gospel. They healed everywhere. Well, there's a danger in trying to apply this passage to modern-day missionaries. Just go, don't raise support, count on people to host you. I give two reasons why this shouldn't be applied to modern-day missionaries. First is that Jesus instructs his disciples near the end of this Gospel of Luke differently. In chapter 22, verses 35 to 36, he said to them, when I sent you out, with no money or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, Nothing. And he said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. This is a training phase for the disciples. And later on, Jesus look, looks back at him and says, Remember your training days? Remember that internship? You you went out and you didn't have anything. You just went with the clothes on your back, and you were well taken care of. Said, "Yeah, we remember." Said, "Well, now go ahead and take some money back." They had learned trust. They had learned that Jesus would provide, that they'd be provided for. The second reason that this shouldn't be applied is because they're going to minister to Jews, not Gentiles. These are people who are obligated to show hospitality and to love one another. It's completely different than sending a missionary to the Amazon and saying, uh, you just tell the people, give you a bunk bed or else you're going to shake your toes at them. Right? No, that's, that's not what we have. But we do have to address this, this thing of, of shaking the dust off your feet. What, what, is, what does he mean by that? If they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet. First, I think that gives a comfort for all who minister the gospel, all who teach, maybe you're a Sunday school teacher, you're, you're teaching a VBS, or you are uh, involved even in, in teaching your children the good news. And, and as we teach and, and reach out to our neighbors, there's a comfort because he says, expect, expect people not to greet you well. When you're ministering, when you're sharing the good news, expect rejection. Now this is an awkward thing. right? This is an awkward thing for him sending them out for the first time. They're kind of rookies in the field and expect rejection. Think of uh, elite college football or something like that. If they're going to schedule an early game of the season, they're going to schedule it against somebody that's not very good especially if it's a young team because they're going to give their young team some confidence. You you crush the little guy and you're you're gelling together as a team and now you can do well. But Jesus, when he sends them out, he says, expect to be rejected. This can be a par and course for your ministry. You're going to expect this over and over again. When you share the gospel, when you tell other people the good news, you will be faced with rejection. It starts now. But then he gives them a comfort. He said, when you leave the town, shake the dust off your feet is a testimony against them. Shake the dust off your feet. When Jews would travel uh, to Gentile land, for a variety of reasons, but as they came back um, to their own land, they would shake off the dust and then enter into their homeland. It was a symbolic gesture of shaking off the idolatry and the false worship of the land that they just met in. I don't want my people influenced by the practices and the evil wickedness of those people. And so I'm going to shake it off and I'm going to come back and they're not going to be tainted with their dirt, if you will. What were the disciples communicating when they shaked off the dust of their feet? You claim to be God's people, but you're not the true Israel. You are not the people of God. You may claim Abraham as your father, but if you reject Jesus, you reject God. Shaking their feet off was a communicating something that Jesus was communicating throughout his entire ministry. The true people of God are the people who trust and believe in me. And so they were basically saying, you are no better than those who do not believe and do not trust in the God you say you believe. To say you believe in God is to believe in Jesus. There's no other way around it. So we see they trusted the instructions of Jesus. They went everywhere. They did what he said. And we also see that they showed the same priority and mission. They didn't heal everywhere, then preach the gospel. They preached the gospel and healed everywhere. The order matters. They were doing his task. They were sharing his message. They were simply ambassadors of the king, not pretending to be little kings themselves. So what happened? Look at verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard all that was happening, and he was perplexed. It was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. The message is going out. Miracles are happening. And What are people talking about? Everybody, even leaders, what are they talking about? Who is this man? Who is this man? The sign of a successful ministry is people are not talking about you, but they're talking about Jesus. Herod the Tetrarch, who is this? This is son of Herod the Great. The man who tried to have young Jesus killed. This is his son, the one who beheaded John the Baptist. And he gets rumors, and who is this person that's doing all these amazing things? Who is this person... That is established in this kingdom. Who is it? And people are saying, is, is John the Baptist come back from the dead? Imagine how terrifying that has to be for Herod. The one that I had beheaded. People are saying he's back. I myself confess that he's a good man. It was a no-no of me to behead him. And people are saying he's, he's back from the dead. I don't want want headless John after me. There's probably some anxiety. There's probably a little nervousness. Like, who is this? I need to find out and I hope it's not John. Um, Who's doing this? You just see disciples impact the world around them for Jesus. People start talking about Jesus when we're on mission for him. People start talking about Jesus. So what does this have to do with you? We talk about how this applies to pastors and missionaries. But what about you? What about you? I'd like to work through these again, drawing out applications for each and every one of us. First, you are called and equipped for mission. You are called and equipped for mission. If you are a Christian here this morning, you've been called by God and you are equipped for his mission. You are equipped to battle sin in your life so that they had a power over demons, power over Satan. You have power over sin in your life. Romans 6 says you were once slaves to sin, but now you're slaves to righteousness. You have power to fight against the sin in our life. Resist Satan. But not only were we called and equipped in the beginning, but every week we are called and equipped. Every week we are called and equipped. We are called together now, just as the disciples were called together and, and, and Jesus was giving them what they needed for the task at hand. Every week God gathers his people and equips us for mission. Ephesians 4 said, you were given apostles and, and, and prophets, and you were given shepherds and teachers and pastors for what purpose? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Each week is an equipping to send you out to the mission field. Some of the biggest objections People have to sharing the gospel with their friends and loved ones. Is, I just don't I don't know if I would know what to say. I'm scared or I, I just I feel like I, I'm not well equipped. Come be equipped. It doesn't have to be formal evangelism training, although that's great and we'll, we'll do that from time to time. But each and every week we're equipped for mission by hearing from God through his word. Sit and drink deeply of the truths of Scripture. <clears throat> Even when we don't feel like it. Right? This morning, many of you might have not been thinking, let me go to church to be equipped for mission. Maybe you're thinking, wow, I just stayed up all last night because the neighbors were being loud. Help me not to hate them today, God. God. Maybe you're thinking, my kids threw more fits this week than hours of sleep I've gotten. And that's all that's going through your mind this morning is, you're telling me to go on mission and I'm barely surviving where I am at. Brothers and sisters, where you're at is your mission. Love your kids well. Come rest in his grace this morning. Even if you didn't feel like it, even if you didn't come with those mentalities, God called you here this morning to equip you, to send you. You might feel like the disciples, how can I do this? How can I live up? If we say, how can we live up? We are putting the expectations on ourselves, on our worth, on our goodness. It's not dependent on you. It's dependent on the one who equips. And his grace is enough. Second, you are sent to proclaim and serve. What are the mission that we're sent on? We're sent to proclaim the good news, not only of a kingdom that's breaking in, a kingdom that's coming, but a king who took a crown of thorns was nailed to a cross so that sinners might be saved. To call others into a great and magnificent kingdom. We have the full picture. We have the full story. Let's proclaim the message. Let's proclaim the message by talking to our neighbors and our coworkers about the good news of Jesus. Let's proclaim the good news by inviting them to vacation Bible school. Let's proclaim the good news by inviting them to church and talking to them about it afterwards. of the greatest ministry, some of the greatest uh, time of, of of sharing the gospel with your friends can be done by inviting them to lunch afterwards and saying, "What, what did you think? Was there anything hard to understand? Anything that you disagree with, that we can go to Scripture." We're also called to serve. If we see our neighbor loaded up with groceries, You know, the look, the one trip or die. I need to get all of these groceries in one trip. And so we strategize and try to go to the door. We see them struggling, and they're thinking to themselves, I just hope one of the bags doesn't break or my arm doesn't break. And that's the only thing going through their mind. And we're coming alongside them saying, let me tell you about this Roman's Road. Might not be the best case. Grab the groceries and help them out. We're called to serve. We're called to love. Yes, share the gospel, but at the same time, love, serve, care for. I have even stories of of people even in this congregation. I hear just recently of a a young couple who's helping out their neighbors by watching their kids when they go places. Just a, a simple way to serve, a simple way to love. can't say, I, I love you and I want you to hear about Jesus, but I'm not going to show you love in some of these tangible ways. Well, let's, let's tangibly love those who are in our life in practical ways. Third, we, we are called to trust in the methods and the mission of God. We are called to trust in the methods and the mission of God. He calls us to proclaim and to serve, and he does so by saying, This is the power. Same word that says they were given power over these things. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. That's what he gives us. It's not your intelligence, it's not your smarts, it's his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Are we trusting in our own selves? Are we trusting in our own abilities? Our our creativity to save sinners? Are we trusting in Jesus in his word? Are we trusting the methods that he gives us? The gospel, prayer. Are we praying for sinners? I hope that we are. I hope that we are praying, church. Trusting in God's methods, even when they're not the flashiest. The mission of God, that we are not becoming a social gospel and only caring for the tangible needs, but we are using words and sharing the gospel with sinners. Jesus died for sinners. Trust in him and live. Live. Let those words leave our lips frequently. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Because, because we are called to impact the world around us for Jesus. And the only way that happens is through the good news. We are called to impact the world around us for Jesus. Don't buy into the myth, don't buy into the lie that. Preaching the gospel is only for pastors, is only for missionaries. Each and every one of us is called on mission. We're called to impact the world around us. We're called so that people like Herod start asking the question, who is this man? And Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're asking, well, who is Jesus? And you have answered that in the past of, well, he's a good moral man. He did some neat things in, in this book called the Bible. Or maybe, hey, he's somebody that my parents believe in. He's somebody that I heard about uh, growing up in, in, in church and now I'm coming back to church because I know church is a good thing for my kids. Who is Jesus? How we answer that question matters for eternity. Is Jesus your Savior? Are you trusting him alone for your salvation, for your soul? Are you hoping in something else? Are you trusting in your own good works? Brothers and sisters, it's through Christ alone that we are saved. Turn from your sin and trust in his work on the cross. It is enough to save you. If you trust in Jesus as your savior, you too will have the power to fight the sin in your life. You too will be given authority. And all who have trusted Christ right now, as we are sent out from here, we are sent to proclaim and to serve. Let's do that together. Let's be commissioned together to share the good news of Jesus. But, if you'd like a chance for even more equipping, come tonight as well. Be equipped for service as we talk about ways that we buy into the lies of the world, ways that we can focus on God's word more and more, and what it means to be the blessed man. I hope that you do join us, but if this is you being sent out this morning, be on mission. Be on mission this week. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it has the power to save, because it tells of the goodness of your son, Jesus. God, for those of us who are in him this morning, I pray that you Send us out this week equipped to serve you. Help us to rest in you when it's hard and help us to depend on you when we want to try our own things. And um, God, you are enough for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.